0: How are you guys doing? All right. That's a good thing to hear. Um, i just have one announcement as, before we get started, and that is uh, we're going to get to this thing today in the message that, that Haggai, one of his minor prophets, talks about, and he talks about considering your ways, and that is something that Element, as a staff, uh, and eldership has been doing in the last few weeks now, considering our ways. And I think over the next few weeks, you're going to see a, a couple of changes taking place, not really huge, but some minor ones in terms of how we're trying to create some more sacred space for you to give you time to reflect and, and think about who God is and what he's doing in, in our lives in, in terms of music, music. Um, with some gospel communities, we're going to be restoring some things over the course of the summer. We'll talk to you about that a little bit later so you understand that better. But we're just trying to understand the places where many times we as a church, we're very open and honest with you about who we are and where we're going. And the times that we have places where we falter and don't always run the direction that we feel like maybe God is calling us where we stumble and fall in doing that, we want to acknowledge it. And so we want you to know that we're going to be doing a little more leadership training with our lay leaders and things like that to really focus more now that COVID is ending on who God is so that we walk forward with the gospel almost as a, not a replanting, but a refocusing of element a bit as we go forward. So you'll see a couple little changes going on as we start to work towards that. Hopefully it's not too weird and you're totally excited about it, or you're like, I didn't say anything different anyway. And then we'd be like, well, that was a lot of effort for nothing. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, if you are newer to Element and you don't own a Bible and would like when there's a Bible on all the communion tables throughout the room, uh, you can have that. J- just take it home. If you want to use a hard copy this morning and you forgot one, you can grab one of those and use it as well. And you can put it back when you're done, according to the CDC. So apparently we're getting better with certain things. Uh, also on the communion tables, there are sermon notes. They look like this. And what we're doing is we're making these really short and simple throughout this summer series. So on the front, we've got a picture of the prophet this today it's Haggai, pronounced like that guy, but Haggai. And on the on the back you get like some stats. We're making them like baseball cards since the thing the miners. And so you maybe at the end of at the end of summer you'll save all twelve of these and you'll like hand them out like baseball cards like tops. So They're gonna be worth so much money because everybody else just throws them away, but you kept them. But anyway, uh, there's a thing that talks about the prophet. The verses we're covering are on top, and on the bottom there is just a simple single question. Because we want you guys to begin to gather with one another and talk and build some community, and this is a good way to just in the middle of that talking and community go to a tiny bit deeper, reflecting on what we talk about today. So that's why that question is there. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Once you download that, you click on More and Then Events in Uversion, and if you're in our local area, we will come up by GPS in your smart device. If you're not in our local area and you're watching, type in the zip code nine three four five five. We will come up that way, and you will get sermon notes, which obviously is pretty short, uh, verses, announcements, the question that's on there, really everything that goes with the message today. Uh, My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? And this is Haggai, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And it says this, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Let's pray. Uh, Father, today I ask that you would teach us to be a people who do consider our ways before you. That we would look at the ways that we become so self-focused upon ourselves and not living for who you are in the world. And I ask that you would change us to see you for who you are. And that in turn would then change us as we consider our ways and how we live. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so again, we are doing this series called The Minors. Uh, it's looking at the last 12 books of the Old Testament, The Minor Prophets. These are short, one-week overviews, and minor doesn't mean they're JV. Minor just means their books are shorter compared to the major Prophets. The books have a lot of great theology in them. A lot of that uh, looks at the first coming of Christ. Some of them will even look at the second coming of Christ. But there's so many practical things that they start to talk through in them. And what you'll notice is that the things they talk through are things we are still going through today. Uh, I don't know that means if we're just slow or as things change, they always seem to stay the same, but whatever. And you might hate today because we're going to get to the place today where we talk about money and our hearts and generosity. And when I say that, people automatically think in the back of their heads, oh, I came to church and they just want my money. See, as things change, I always stay the same. Now, we love money and stuff. We clutch it. We hoard it. We, we cling to it. We never think we have enough. We think everybody else has more than we do. People vote people into office thinking they're going to give them money. When the government can't produce money, they just take it from others and give it to other people. I guess they are printing money now, so whatever. But you, you, know, you know what I mean. And and it's and it's all dumb, uh, what we tend to do and how we think and process things about money. So we are going to get there eventually. But before we do, what I need to do is give you the idea of where Haggai is and why he says the things that he does. So, you have the historical narrative of this thing called Israel. So, millennia ago, God comes to this guy named Abraham. Abraham is 65 years old, probably thinking, Oh, time to retire, my life's gonna wind down. And that's when God shows up and says, All right, buddy, let's go. Get your diaper and your walker, we're heading out of town. And so, he says, I'm gonna bless you. And I'm going to make you a blessing to the entire world. And that blessing, ultimately we see now, comes in about in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has two kids named Jacob and Esau. And that blessing goes to this kid named Jacob, where God will come and he will change Jacob's name to Israel. Israel will then have 12 Children And those t- 12 children will eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, these people, it's about 72 at the time at the end of the book of Genesis. And there's this famine in the land. So they go to stay in the land of Egypt. The book of Exodus starts 400 years later. And those 72 people have become a couple million people. But they now find themselves in slavery. And they cry out to God for freedom. And God comes and sets them free and leads them out of their slavery into freedom. And this is where we get the major idea of what salvation actually is it is god coming and setting us free from our sin and leading us into places of freedom and life and hope again and that's what god does for these people and they finally get their own land their own country and it is called israel because they're very creative like that so they get this place called israel and for hundreds of years in israel they are led by god himself through his prophets but eventually they start to look around and get a little bit bored And they say, you know what, we want a king like all the other kids on the block have. And so they go to the prophet and they say, we want a king like this. All the kids in the cul-de-sac have their own king, we want a human king too. And so what God does is he gives them a guy named Saul. And Saul, what you see first, it's, oh, Saul is great, it's amazing, but eventually what Saul does is he sins grievously against God. And so God removes Saul and puts in a once-shepherd boy named David. Seems great, but you know what David does? Sins grievously against God. Then David has a son who becomes king, God named Solomon. Wisest man who ever lives, you know what he does? Sins grievously against God. Why? Because he's human. And that's what human people do, but we want a human king. So all the way up through God leading Israel and through those three human kings, this is what we call the united kingdom all israel one king one ruler but then solomon's son rehoboam son his name rehoboam comes to power i mean, he comes to power he starts to tax people excessively obsess- he starts to force labor upon people and at that point the kingdom splits in 900 bc here's a map So what you have in 900 B.C. is you have 10 northern tribes that we call Israel. That's all the green. And then you have just two southern tribes. That's the orange, almost as large as the green. And they split. That northern kingdom never had one godly king. And after a couple hundred years, 722 B.C., the Assyrians come in as disciplined from God and they just haul all those people out of that northern kingdom into captivity. They conquer that entire region. And then, about 150 years after that, 587 B.C., the Babylonians come in and they will then conquer Judah and haul all those people off into captivity. Most of the minor prophets, they come and they speak during these Times. And I don't want to give you a whole lot because I don't want to steal other people's thunder when they talk about theirs. But in 586 BC, the Babylonians, what they will do is destroy the temple in Jerusalem. All those rest of those Jews are deported. Now, the prophets of God, they have spoken about this. God's not surprised. The prophets aren't surprised. They know what's going to happen. But they also prophesied that after 70 years, Judah would then return to rebuild the temple. But you have to understand, that's not the people who are hauled off into captivity who are coming back. That's their kids or maybe even their kids' kids coming back after all of that time. Now, the exile in Babylon, it it lasts 70 years. And during that exile, the Medes overcome the Babylonians and the Medes were overthrown by the Persians in 539 B.C. And it was during the Persian reign that the Jews are granted permission to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild their altar and their temple again. And it is during that time where they're rebuilding and coming back after the captivity that three of the last prophets speak. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And I will get to talk to you about Haggai and Zechariah. Someone else is going to talk to you about Malachi. But they each talk about different issues. Haggai encourages the people to rebuild the temple. Zechariah will focus on God choosing and desiring Israel. And Malachi will speak about the social and religious problems of the people who had returned from captivity. They're neglecting their sacrifices and lowering their commitment to God. Now, because I'm only going to cover a few verses today, I'm going to give you an overview of the entire book, which means one day we might come back and do it again, if I'm so inclined at at some point. But I'm going to lay out for you what this is kind of about. The Jews return, and there's a lot of hope. It's like we're back in our country. This is amazing. We're going to rebuild this temple. But very soon they get discouraged. So they show up. 537 BC, and they rebuild an altar. In 536, they clear the rubble from the Temple Mount, they lay the foundations for the temple, and then nothing. Nothing. 16 years go by, and they don't do anything. Why? The same reason that many times we get discouraged as well. In Babylon, they kept hearing about the glory days of Israel, the temple, and how amazing it was, and what our country was like, and they show up and Everything is just in rubble. They have this dream of what it's supposed to be and they show up and they see the reality. It's much like when Israel wanted a human king. Well, everybody else has got a human king. Wouldn't it be great if we had one? And they have this dream for what it's going to happen and they get a human king and what happens? Disaster, reality, dream versus reality. Uh, people, they, they get married, right? They got this dream. Oh, it's going to be so great, me and my fiance. It's going to be our own little garden of Eden right in our house. It's going to be amazing. And then you get married. Reality. You're like, that person's crazy. And you're like, I'm crazy too. Reality. Dreams versus reality. And that's what happened to them. They saw the reality of their lives. For 50 years at this point, they had lived in Babylon. They didn't have an altar or a temple. So why is that affecting the religious life now? They also had some really tough years economically, almost like a recession in the midst of this. And so that's kind of affecting their hearts as well. And the Jews did not receive their necessary leadership from their rulers. And so their excitement begins to fade because they didn't have a vision that was cast. So Haggai is someone who returned from Babylon to Jerusalem. And he gives these prophecies to these people to encourage them continue to rebuild the temple. His prophecies reflect the horrible conditions that the Jews were in many times because of their own choices. So Haggai, he has Four different prophecies in his book, and we actually can date them pretty accurately. The first one comes in September of 520 B.C., and the next follow within three months. And these are what the four prophecies cover. Uh, The first one is chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. And Haggai addresses this guy named Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel. Don't name your kids that. Zerubbabel, uh, he's the governor, and Joshua, who is the priest, and they had this responsibility for encouraging the people to do the work of God in the world, but they weren't actually doing that. And that's be what we talk about just a little bit today. Uh, Chapter two, verses one through nine. The enthusiasm fades because these people don't see their temple as being as grand as Solomon's temple was, so they get very discouraged. And what Haggai will tell them in this prophecy is, leave the past behind. Look towards what God is doing in the future and in your life now look to who he is in chapter 2 verses 10 through 19 there's this half-heartedness that affects the builders of the temple like god said he's going to bring better days but i don't see the better days right now things are really hard does that mean god isn't really with us and so haggai has this great line in chapter 2 verses 12 through 14 and he will ask does a priestly robe make people holy does a robe make you holy no, if we're out of the house, it just makes you weird, is what it does. And, and then he says, but a corpse can communicate its uncleanness to you. And so what he says to these people is, perseverance is hard, and complaining is easy. Discouragement is easy, and it's also contagious. Oh, it's like something we can know, right? Chapter 2, verses 20 to 23, he announces the approaching day of judgment. So you have a Bible. Open to Haggai chapter 1. It's on page 512 and 513 in the Element Bible. It might be easier just to download the app and find it because it's a very small book. There's lots of good stuff. I'm going to really stick to where he goes in this first prophecy and how it relates to us in terms of understanding who God is and generosity and money and comfort and giving. And if you have ever been to a church in your life that manipulates you about money or guilt, you please understand that is not what I am doing today. It is never my intent. God calls us to be a generous people because he is a generous God and we respond in kind. And there's a lot of churches who use a lot of verses to manipulate people. Guys, I don't own a jet. Uh, Element has a very conservative budget. My wife and I own the house that we do because we bought it at the bottom of the market. It was a foreclosure. We spent 10 years working on it to make the house that it is today. As a matter of fact, uh, someone about a week and a half ago sent me a text and there's a, at the Women's Bible study, someone owns a Rolls-Royce and they said, do you own, a, is that a Rolls-Royce yours? And I'm like, do I look like a Rolls-Royce kind of guy? Really, have you met me? I got a pickup truck, it's got dents all over it and it smells like my dog because she goes everywhere with me in the truck. That's how I roll, Royce. Anyway, so uh, if, you have a, if, you have a, if you find it, page 5, 5, 12, 5, 13, or use the app if you can't find it, Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 2. This is the word of hosts. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you, yourselves, to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. God is saying, you feel like you're never satisfied because everything is focused upon you. And when you make these things your God rather than me, you are never going to be fulfilled or satisfied because these things can't do that for you. Verse 9, this is out of the NIV, "'You look for much, and behold, it came to little, "'and when you brought it home, I blew it away. "'Why,' declares the Lord of hosts, "'because of my house that lies in ruins "'while each of you busies himself with his own house.'" So it's been almost 20 years since they've come back to Israel, and they still haven't built the temple. And the temple was meant to be the place at the center of their community. It's where they would worship God together. It's where they would teach their kids about who God is together as a people. It's where strangers could come, and they could learn about who God is in the world and what He's doing. It's the place they were to come together and bring all their stuff so they could then step out from that place to help the poor and the needy in the world. And one of their excuses for not building it or giving to the project is, we're in a recession. This is the ideas of, we have sown much and harvested little. It's an Old Testament way of saying, our stocks have tanked. Our money bags have holes in them. Have you seen my 401k? It's not doing well right now. Of course, right now, I can't give to the temple. And God says, your excuse for not giving of, we're in a recession. He goes, I'm telling you, you're in a recession because you haven't been giving. And that's not giving to get. That's the idea of where we are focused. We're always going to feel like we never have enough when we focus on ourselves and our stuff. And God says you are more concerned building your own house, you know, with all the paneling than my house. My house, he says, lies in ruins. And it's a way of telling his people you haven't really put me first and you're never going to really understand what it means to live this life unless I am first in your life. And don't mistake me, I am not saying give to get. I know there's a lot of churches out there who do that. Oh, if you do this, then God's going to shake it up and it's going to bubble over the top. Oh, it's going to be amazing. But then when people give that way, they are still only giving to get and make it about themselves. I'll give because God's going to give me this. No, we give because God is generous. And we simply begin to live our lives in the exact same way. And God says to these people, you eat, but you're still hungry. You are clothed, but you still feel cold and naked. He says you have a nice bed to sleep in, but you're not sleeping well because everything in your life is focused on yourself. God says, I'm not your priority. Your selfishness is. And get this God does not begrudge any of these people for the nice stuff that they have, for the paneling on the houses. I think God even wants to bless them and give them more, more than they realize, but they won't trust Him for who He is. And so these people have two problems. The first one is a faith problem. They don't believe God's going to come in and supply all of their needs so they don't give. And secondly, they have a priority problem. They build their own houses rather than God's. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Four times in the book of Haggai, in short 38 verses, He will say, Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Consider your ways consider your ways you got four because we must consider what we really believe about God and how faithful he actually is and we will only become this generous people when God becomes our overriding priority and there are always always sometimes issues and dangers in applying old testament passages directly to us i get that but there are certain things that are true that always have been true and every year or through every age god will use his people to live on mission and part of that is how we give and our generosity and there are lots of questions and objections that people have when we talk about giving because of bad experiences and i don't want to belittle that at all i don't want to belittle what you felt has maybe happened to you in your life but i will say much of our fear in giving and trusting God comes down to a faith or trust problem and the priority problem in our life. And so what I want to do this morning is have us all as a people come together and consider our ways. Because the, the people in Haggai had all these excuses about why they couldn't give, and I think people do as well today. And what I want to do is give you seven excuses that I've heard. There's actually a lot more, but I'm just whittling it down to seven. I'm going to give seven excuses I've heard about why people say, oh, I can't give right now, or I don't want to give, as we consider our ways. The first one is this. People say, tithing is a law. I'm under grace. And my answer to that is, you are 100% correct totally, totally true. Now, you may not even understood the words I just said to you, so let me explain what this means. In the Old Testament, there's this principle that God gave to His people called a tithe, uh, 10%, giving 10% of our income to the Lord. Uh, but actually, when you look at Israel, it was between 23 and 28% is what they ended up giving out of their income. So they gave 10% of their income to the priesthood to pay them for work and ministry. 10% goes into a treasury to pay for festivals and to build community. Can you imagine if we gave 10% of our income for parties? Yeah, right? That, you can't do a good party with like juice boxes and Cheez Its. And so God says, I'm going to prescribe festivals for you. Bring it to me, and I will show you how to throw a party. But many of these parties also centered around the temple. But the temple wasn't built. Then God says, you know, bring these things to me. We're going to figure out what celebration looks like. The book of Isaiah says celebration is always tied to worship of who God is. At Element, we've gotten a knock sometimes because when we do baptisms, the one in, in the fall that's coming up, we typically buy tri-tip and bread, all those good artery-clogging, healthful things that you get. And, and we feed everybody who comes. And people said, why would you spend money on that? And I'm like, because it's biblical. We should. You know, if they had tried to back then God would have been like and bring in the tithe. No. Uh 10% every 3 years went went to the poor, uh, as well as different special offerings for the wall, tabernacle, all these things. In the end it ended up being like 23 28%. But we are not under law. We are under Christ. We have been freed from the law. That is true and good. But just because we're not under the law doesn't mean that the law doesn't have good things to say to us as a people. Like we don't say, "Oh, hey, I'm free in Christ. Now I can murder and steal." At least I hope you don't. I mean, that'd be a terrible thing to do. Uh, you have Abraham, the guy that God comes, he first blesses him to be a blessing to the world. Abraham tied before the law was ever given. And then Moses talks about it. Jesus actually commends it in Matthew 23, 23. But giving in the Bible was always meant to be a response to what God has first done for us. And so here's a question for all of us. Have we seen God do more for us than the Israelites saw that God did for them? Okay. So you think, okay, well, the Israelites, they had uh, God parts the Red Sea. God gives them manna in the wilderness. But what do we have? We see that Jesus Christ came and he died for our sins, what separated us from God. All these things, we're trying to rebuild this temple. Jesus comes and dies as our final sacrifice for all that separates us from God. God brings us to himself. We have seen God do much more for us than the Israelites ever saw. We have seen God's lavish generosity. And Jesus pays the penalty for our sin. It's why every week what we say is that our giving is first because God has first given to us. It's why we don't pass a plate. It's why it's meant to be a response of our hearts to what God is doing in us. And understanding the grace of God should not make us want to be less uh, give less. It should make us, I think, want to actually give more than the law requires. George Barna said this years ago. While many Christian church, churches teach the principle of tithing, giving ten percent of one's income to the church, relatively few people follow the practice. And so they asked all these people these questions. Seventeen percent of people who attend any type of church in the world claim to tithe. When they check with household income, six percent actually did. Born again Christians, yay! That's our team. of born-again Christians said they tithe. When they check with household income, 12% actually did. So lots of Christians not only not giving, but then lying about it as well. (laughs) Go team. All right, (laughs) here we are. Now, in the Old Testament, you know what happened if you didn't give? Nothing. Nobody came to your house and stoned you or chopped your arms off or threw you in jail or anything like that. It's not a law like that. But there is consequences in our hearts when we don't give. We become very myopic about our own lives. We don't look and see what God is doing around us. It hardens us ultimately to God's generosity. And what I've noticed is when people come and want to have with me the tithing talk, it is is never, I've never had anybody come up to me and say, Aaron, you know, I hear about this tithing thing and that's holding me back. Uh, God always wants, I want to give more, but that 10%, oh, it's just holding me back. No one ever says that. It's all about that's way too much. So it's usually the opposite. One thing is for sure. That when you look in the Bible, we are called to be a people who give God our first and our best. And what we typically do, as the people did in Haggai, is they give God their leftovers. And when we give everything in our lives to ourselves to make sure we feel the way we want to, when it comes time to give to God our leftovers, there is usually not a lot left over. So don't use the word tithe. Many times I'd rather people didn't, but are we giving God our first and our best or are we giving him our leftovers? Which goes into the next question where people say, well, what if I can't afford to give? And it's interesting that God here says, we can't be a people who can afford not Again, not that we give to get, but when we only give to ourselves, we cease seeing who God is in our lives and His own generosity because He calls us to be a generous people. Now, if you're someone who is living your life under the the bar every month, like you're just living on credit cards and loans and you can't get above the line, uh, since COVID's done, we are going to be doing a Financial Peace University sometime soon, and we'll get you into that to help you to walk walk through that and some ways to budget. Uh, But if you have an income, we are people who are called to give. See, Israel thought that God couldn't provide for their needs if they gave, and if your budget down to the penny, no discretionary income. I would say start somewhere. Start somewhere. It doesn't have to be this tent, but we start somewhere. Like I wish I could parade my friend Patrick in front of all of you, but every time I do, he's like a deer in the headlights. He's like what? All right. But actually, I told him this. I'm going to say this. And he goes, no, Tom, I'm a moose in the headlights because he's a big guy. I'm like, okay. He's like a moose in the headlights. He just, he just stands there. Uh, but so I put him on the talking element this week. If you want to watch his interview, that, that's what he's on this week. But he says every time he gives to God, he goes, God is just so faithful. He goes, I cannot believe it. He doesn't give to get at all. But he says the more that he gives, the more he sees how faithful God is in his life. And part of that is simply because he's learning to be generous. The next thing is this, are you a win then giver? Because a lot of people say, well, when this happens, then I'll give. When I get my house paid off, when I get my cars paid off, when I get my student loans paid off, when I get my kids' student loans paid off, when I get out of debt, th- then I'll give. But what happens as soon as you get out of debt there? You go buy another car. It's like, i got to pay that debt off. We got J.D. Greer said this, when never comes and then never ends. It's always easy to find an alibi to justify our apathy a lot of times. College kids are funny. Uh, ha-ha, not funny as not weird, but funny, ha-ha. Um, You'll have, like, maybe middle of summer or, or Christmas break, and you got, like, 20 college kids that come back, and they start showing up. Giving doesn't increase at all, right? Because they say, well, I don't have a job. I don't have any income. But they're always going out to buy these $7 mocha frappa, bitter bean water things, stuff like that. Uh, do you know college students per capita have the largest amount of discretionary income in the United States of any group? Uh, $53.9 billion. And yet, college kids will usually look at rich people and go, oh, look at those evil rich people not giving. Well, the issue with a rich person not giving and a college kid not giving comes down to the same thing. We don't want to adjust our lifestyles. We don't want to. It's not about money. It's about being a disciple of who God calls us to be. In Luke 16, verse 10, Jesus says, "...one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much." This is the idea that we set the pattern of faithfulness for the young when they start growing up When we don't have very much. If you made $1.50 and you decide, I'm going to give 10%, 15 cents is pretty easy to give. If you made $150,000, $15,000 is a lot harder to give. And a lot of people just say, well, if I made more money, I'd give more. Statistically speaking, that's not true statistically speaking, the more money you make, the less generous you become because you're giving away so much more. We're faithful when we have little. makes us more faithful when we have much. It just becomes a lifestyle. Here's the fourth one. People say, well, I give them my time. Awesome. We need volunteers. We love that. It's amazing. But that's also not giving of all of who we are. I mean, try that reasoning with the IRS next time taxes come around. Okay. Okay. I know my tax rate is 28%, but uh, I'm going to give 28% of my time being nice to people. You'd go to jail. Okay, I, I'm not trying to be, belittle the giving of your time, but you, we can't section off parts of our life from other parts of our lives. This is what the Israelites were doing when they returned in, in Haggai. See, ultimately, God wants all of us. He wants us to trust Him with every part of who we are. God is not sitting up in heaven going, Ooh, I really want to do this building project. I hope people give me enough money to do that next project I got. No, God wants us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us. First to the Lord, and then to us. God wants all of us. He wants all of us. And I think that we are a people, when we understand that, we start to give joyfully, because God brings us joy. We give generously, because God has been generous with us. We give sacrificially, because God has sacrificed His Son to rescue and save us. Fifth thing, people say, well, I give to other things besides the church. awesome. That is great. So do I. Okay. So do I. Uh, I give to starving kids. I give to mission trips. I give to different organizations. But I think the work of the local church is the most important. The whole strategy in the book of Acts was to go into these different places and plant churches in all of these places. Why? Because the church is uniquely equipped to meet the physical and spiritual needs of a community. The church can minister to body and soul. One writer says it like this, the presence of a healthy, thriving local church in a community is the greatest hope for that community. Now, we can you know, debate about what healthy and thriving looks like in a local church, but local churches are meant to look out beyond themselves, how we touch the community around us. Uh, The local church is God's ordained plan A for bringing healing to the world. And so it's the first place we should give. Uh, my friend, uh, Pete, a contractor, some of you know him, he's out doing a house over here just like two blocks that way. And as he's doing it, this guy says, hey, do you go to that church over there? And he's like, uh-oh, yeah? Like, is our music too loud on Sundays? Or what? And, and the guy said, no. He goes, I don't go to church. I'm not religious. But what you guys are doing for that school, Delta, is amazing. Those, those kids' lives are being touched. You're making a difference in their parents' lives and the teachers' lives and the students' lives. Pete's like, Wow. What are we doing? We are living outside of ourselves, not looking inward, but giving beyond ourselves. And our neighbors who don't even love Jesus are beginning to notice. And you think that's an inroad to be able to talk about the gospel? Of course it is. Of course it is. And it's what we do. God's plan A is the local church. Now, I know a lot of you might have been in churches that, again, don't do a great job of spending their money. Like every year the pastor gets a new plane or a new Audi R8 or a Rolls Royce or, or whatever it is. But that doesn't mean you throw this whole concept out because you had a bad experience. You ever go to a restaurant and had horrible, horrible service or like a bad food? Did you stop eating? No, no, you don't, you don't do that. People, sometimes have a problem when churches talk about money. I, I get that. But we don't have a problem when, say, the American Cancer Society asks for money. Why? Because we know cancer is a killer and they need help. Well, if we really believe the gospel that sin is the ultimate killer and Jesus is the ultimate solution, well, don't we then want to give the place that speaks of the gospel to everybody? Here's my sixth one. Uh, I don't know where the money goes. Valid question, okay, valid question. Element gives away tens of thousands of dollars every year. Last year, we gave away $72,000 to local causes, church planters. Uh, We want to constantly be parading people past you so you see what we're giving. We could do a much better job of that, I I understand. Uh, But what I'm telling you is I like Element to give even more, and I need your help with that. Okay. Uh, if you have questions about our budget, ask, ask the staff, ask, ask our board. We are more than open about what we do and where, where the money goes. And hopefully after talking to some people, you might be more apt to give than less. And number seven, this is my last one, well, the church doesn't need my money. And I always think, what does a church look like that does need your money? Because it's, oh, Aaron's always wearing flannel and, and blue jeans. Well, I like dressing like this. I don't know how I dress I don't know. Whatever. Do I need a little dress? To, I don't know. Uh, well, you got a you got a flat screen TV in the lobby when we walk in. That was donated by Paul Shaver. Oh, well, you got a flat screen TV over there in the room where the band hangs out during services, so you don't have to hear Aaron preach at him three times in a row. Well, I donated that one. Well, when we walk in, there's a flat screen right outside the door when we walk in. Well, we actually bought that for the youth group for the barn, and we stole it from them. So one day we got to give it back. But seriously, would you rather us have like one of those 200-pound CRT TVs on the wall that if it falls off, is going to kill you or your kid? No. No. What what, what I'm saying is we want to do what we do at Element many times for excellence. Uh, Michael, one of the guys that works on staff, and I were having this conversation about do we change full-color sermon notes? Do we change and not pay how we do the backgrounds and different things as we change different series? And I was like, no. Artistry is important. Our God is creator and creative. And I think that these things actually help people to connect and engage. So we do these things. And all there's around element. There's some ministry projects, some building project. There's something going on because we are committed to finding ways for the gospel to always go forward. Now, let me ask you two questions at the end of this as we consider our ways. First off, does our, your giving show that God is a priority in your life, that his kingdom is a priority? And I ask that question not to shame or guilt you in any way. It's a way of how God talks to his people here. Consider your ways. Consider what's going on in you. And secondly, are you putting him first? Does the things Haggai says apply to us? Do we panel our own houses while God's house lies in ruins? And let me be clear, as I said before, God does not begrudge His blessings in our lives. God does not begrudge giving us anything. He doesn't want us to feel guilty about it. He loves us. He loves to bless us. And when we understand that blessing, it's meant to turn us to a place where we actually worship who He is. And that means He wants us to trust Him no matter where we are. Even if you don't have gobs of cash laying around your house at home, we still find ways to give sacrificially, joyfully, generously, and faithfully. We trust Him with our futures. I mean, I am not promising in your life that if you go home, there's gonna be like a check in your mailbox for exactly what you gave. I know one person that happened to you in my entire life and they said, it's never happened again, just one time, I'm like, well, that's really weird anyway because that's not how it works. But what, what they talked about was how the more they give, they see how faithful God is because it changes their own hearts in that. We give because God is first faithful. When we learn to be generous, we look beyond ourselves. And it starts to reduce our own materialism. And we become, uh, we become into places where we are content with what we have. If your goal in your life is happiness and peace and security and you chase those things, you will never get those things. They will always fall short. But when our goal is to worship God first, when His glory becomes the goal in our lives, what happens is we do gain God's peace. We get this thing called joy, not happiness, which is fleeting, but a deep and abiding joy, and we are secure in His hands. That God takes us and puts us into very unsafe situations, but we are still secure in His hands. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Guys, God gives all these things as great blessings into our lives. You don't have to purchase them. We worship God and trust Him for them. Now, if you are new today, uh, what a day to visit. Hello. Uh, If you're watching live for the first time, hi, you know, great. What we want you to hear is that we do all that we do because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe it's important that Jesus comes and he dies for it separates us from God, our own sin that we can never pay for. He restores us into relationship with God by his own choice, what he does to call us to himself. And we love the spread of the gospel more than we love our stuff. And so my question for you would be, have you ever experienced the gospel? Have you been changed by it? Have you ever heard the gospel? And if not, let us explain it to you. As far as Haggai goes, uh, after he gives these prophecies, Zerubbabel and Joshua, they get on the stick. The people respond in 520 BC. They start the reconstruction of the temple. And four years later, 516 BC, exactly 70 years after the temple fell, the temple was rebuilt and dedicated, which is really kind of neat. But also everything leads to pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. Because you have this temple, they were so excited to be able to start doing all their sacrifices again. But what happens when Jesus comes? The temple is no longer needed because Jesus is our final sacrifice. And then what happens with us? Well, we are told the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us and we now become the temple of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus becomes our prophet, priest, king, sacrifice. Jesus becomes all of these things for us. And that generosity of God is simply staggering, that he would rescue and save us and bring us to himself all as a work of what he does. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And as I do, I'm going to invite you to a place of communion. If you are so inclined, you can take communion. It's a reminder of what Christ did for us, of his lavish generosity given to us. And this is why you get a cracker and you break the cracker and you drink the grape juice. And it's a reminder of his body that was broken and his blood that was shed to bring us back into relationship with him again. God is simply that good to us. God has been generous to us and for us throughout our entire lives. And many times we don't see it or recognize it. And this is why it's good for us to learn to be a generous people because when we start to be generous, we start to live like God calls us to live and it changes our heart to see more and more what he is doing in our lives and in the world around us. As I would encourage every single one of us to learn to be this generous people whose lives are focused on Christ himself. And if you need prayer, if you have never heard of the gospel and you want to understand what the good news of the gospel is, the gospel just means good news, we would love to talk to you about it. We'd love to explain it to you. It's why we do what we do at Element. It is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you need prayer and you'd like to talk about that, we'd love to do that. If you pray prayer for anything, talk to Sarah at the Welcome Center. We'll connect you with some people that can talk with you. Uh, we also say that you know giving is part of our worship, and today... You got a whole message about it. And we don't, like I said, pass a plate. It's always a response to what God has done. And this is why there's offering boxes on the wall, why you can can give online. It's to change our hearts to be a generous people. And everything I say is not to guilt you or to shame you. It's to refocus us on what the gospel truly is. Because that is what changes our hearts and our lives. We don't give so God loves us more. We don't give so God uh, gives us more stuff back. We give because we want to live like God himself lives. And I would encourage you to grab the one question on those sermon dates. Sp- spend some time with people this week and talk about that one question and maybe talk about money in your own life. Money is the hardest thing for people to talk about. It is so weird. I could talk to you about your marriage and your job and your kids and school, all these different things. But as soon as you talk about money, people are like, whoa, you're a weirdo. It, it's so weird how we respond around money. And yet it's something we need to talk about with one another. We need to speak about accountability and hope and generosity with each other because then we can step in each other's lives and remind one another what the gospel is truly about. And we get to be those people who do that. So let's learn to be a generous people because we trust God first with everything. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us to be a people who surrender all of our lives to you, all that we are, that we're not trying to hold things back but we give of ourselves first to you and then to everything else. That we start in a place of understanding the great salvation that you have given to us. And that would in turn change our hearts and our minds and our entire lives to be ones which display the worship of who you are. Have us get our eyes off of ourselves. Have us be a people who really begin to consider our ways before you. And that we would trust you to step into the places you call us to and that we would learn to be a generous people because you have been first so generous with us. We thank you for our salvation, for our renewed life, Teach us to go out as your hands and feet to this world around us so everyone would know the great God that has rescued and saved us. And we would speak of you in new and true ways wherever we go. Amen.